You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back, Modern Therapists. This is the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Widhelm with Katie Vernoy, and this is the podcast with all of the things that deal with therapists and their lives. And we are joined once again by one of our favorite guests, Tiffany McLean. She's over at Hey Tiffany and talks about all kinds of things, money, and she is back. We're super excited to have her. For the longest time, the longest time, Tiffany's first episode with us was our most downloaded ever. And that was like within our first year of podcasting. And, and, you know, we've been out here for a couple of years more. We're like, you know, Tiffany, come back. Let's see if you can reclaim your records. No pressure. No pressure. Who who beat me? Who was that person (laughs) is what I want to know. I, I think it was our, our episode about millennials as therapists. That, oh, that it was us. It, it was, was us. us. It was us. <laughs> okay. If it was you, then but, I'll let, I'll give you a pass. <laughs> but for people who haven't gone through all of our archives and listened all the way back before, can you introduce yourself and let our newer listeners know who you are and what you are putting out into the world? Yes. And if you, if you, if you are a newer listener, Welcome. My name is Tiffany, as Kurt said. I have a website, heytiffany.com, and I am the founder of the Lean In Make Bank. That's Lean In Make Bank Academy, where our goal is to help all therapists ethically earn at least 30 to 50% more per month while seeing fewer clients by learning to address and think about fees in a clinically appropriate manner. That's what we want to do. That's what we're about. So we've moved this question further up in our conversation because I think it's so enlightening and it provides great learning. So what have therapists been getting wrong related to money during these truly extraordinary times? Yes. I, I, I mean, there are a lot of things going on right now. As we know, the Black Lives Matter movement is gaining yep. ground in a way it never has before. The political scene is insane. It's chaotic. At the time we we're recording this, Biden just won the presidency in theory. He won, but there's yes. all kinds, you know, things are just politically, things are insane. But because of COVID in 2020, therapists automatically jump to, and, and, and therapists have said this to me, if there was any time not to address my fees, or even this goes as far as respecting my cancellation policy, and I use that language intentionally, I could say, not enforce my cancellation policy, but I, Tiffany, will say, if there's any time not to respect my cancellation policy, it's right now during COVID. And this statement goes right to the heart of one of the most troubling misconceptions therapists have about charging in private practice, which is charging for therapy is hurting my clients. Charging my clients money for therapy is fundamentally wrong. This is at the core of therapist's belief system. And we wiggle out of it by saying like, oh, I'll just uh, lower my fees or take insurance and that relieves some of their anxiety. But at the, in truth, most, most therapists in private practice are conflicted about the fact that they earn money for providing therapy. And this internal conflict is only heightened at a time like COVID when people are suffering and the suffering heightens the therapist's internal conflict about, oh my gosh, charging for the work I do. Fundamentally, is hurting people. This seems like a, a super challenging thing because over the last, you know, 
eight, nine, ten months by the time that this episode airs, we have as a as a field been inundated with a lot of people are struggling more and more people across the country are struggling with anxiety and depression. This is what we have trained our entire careers to be able to do. And we want to go out and we want to help people. And you're saying for a fee. Yes. Yeah. And and it makes me think. So when you say that, Kurt, even I, I hear in your voice, what is behind the for a fee? What's the anxiety about saying people are so depressed? People are literally dying. Loved ones are dying. The political system is insane. And we want to help people for a fee. What does that part imply? Well, I'm coming at it from your side. I, yeah. I wrote. I, <laughs> I know you are. I know you are. <laughs> and, and I predicted this at, at the beginning of the pandemic. I, I had written a blog. We had we had done one of our now most popular episodes on this gaslighting of the profession that we should charge less because oh. because everybody's in need and therapists are supposed to be nice and we're supposed to also have this respect for ourselves and all of this investment that we've made into ourselves and our career to get here that any other profession, if it's your time to shine, if you're an athlete, you're going to go and you're going to want your contract. If you're, you know, a a contractor, you're going to go out and you're going to want the the most that you can command. Why are therapists so susceptible to I'm, I'm trained for this. I'm here to do this. Let me, give away this for something at the cost of myself. Yeah. Oh my gosh. There are so many reasons. And I work primarily, you all know, with women and minorities. And so there were a lot of, and we talked about this at Therapy Reimagined a couple of years back. Amazing conference, folks. Um, Thank you. There are a lot of external reinforcements for uh, women, minorities. We should sacrifice ourselves. We should um, help people out of the goodness of our hearts. Our desire should be to make other people's lives better and any other desire like financial security. And I'll even say beyond financial security, but building wealth, if that's a desire of yours. If you simply want more time in order to enjoy your life fully and live, if that's a desire of yours that's not requiring you to sacrifice yourself, those things are pegged by society historically for women and minorities as greedy, selfish, and you really ought to be ashamed for the desire to live your life more fully and to be able to step into enjoying your life more fully. It's interesting because I'm, I'm, I'm one of these people that is struggling with this because I, I don't have a lot of debt. I'm very fortunate and I... I am, I've been able to create a good life for myself and the pandemic hit. And although I, I do have a fee that is on the higher end in my area, I found myself wanting to slide my scale. I, I do take some insurance. I have a value about access and I can afford to do that in a portion of my practice. And so I did that, but then I took too many insurance and too many insurance clients. Like I recognized that for me, all of the things that I was grappling with at the very beginning of my career, especially in private practice, came to the surface because I felt I, I have a job. I actually started making more money right when the pandemic hit because more of my clients came in and I wasn't traveling. So for me, it was like, I have it good. I was going to raise my fee. I guess I won't now. I I was able to to do what I needed to do. I I I make a fine living. I'm okay. But I know that in order to actually do the things that I really want, which is having more time, working less, you know, 
saving a little bit more for retirement, helping my husband and I retire earlier, like all of the things that are like, they feel very luxurious. Yeah. I was like, I don't need to do that now. And, and I, I respect half of that decision, but I also am feeling burned out now. And so (laughs) I'm recognizing like, oh, okay. Like I actually really need to look at it. And so I'm, I'm, I'm going to put it out there. I'm grappling with this of like, Hey, I can help. I've got the skills and there's a lot of people who need my help. And I don't want to make myself inaccessible to those folks by either raising my fee or charging my full fee. And it's, it's hard. And I've seen this all over the Facebook groups where people are like, I'm going to do this. And then everybody's like, this is the hardest time to do this. Why would you st- put the strain on people when they need our help? And, and I kind of, see, I see both sides of that. I see the, the ability to support people during this really hard time when there's a lot of people who are unemployed and, and grappling with where they p- spend their money. And I also see the negative impact on our field if all of us start lowering our fees while we actually have an opportunity to to demonstrate the benefit of what we do yes. and increase um, the stature of our profession. So, so help. Yeah. I'm glad you bring it up. I'm so glad you bring it up and I'm so glad you're sharing your personal experience because I, like you said, so many therapists have the same internal dialogue Although many of them don't even acknowledge the burnout side, they might feel it, but they're trying to just keep going. So you're willing to say, "Uh, I want to give back and I'm feeling the effects. So thank you. Um, I wish I was taking notes. I wish we had three hours to talk about this. A couple of things that came to mind. Uh, I'm so glad you said it feels like a luxury. Oh, almost like that's a (laughs) negative, right? One of our core values in the company, and I added this uh, within the past two months, is luxuriate. And I require myself and all my, oh, I got to do it this week. I require myself and all our team members to do one thing to luxuriate each week. And then they have to brag about it. So again, (laughs) women and minorities, therapists, we have been told you don't deserve to luxuriate. Those people get luxury. Those people Mm. get luxury. We don't get that. So for me, I'm like... What does it mean that we don't even, we say luxury and feel guilty for the idea of luxuriating? Yeah. That's the first thing that comes to mind. A second thing, and this is interesting that my mind went here, psychoanalytic, unconscious shit. Um, <laughs> when you were talking about the desire to, you know, really make an impact right now and take on, you know, maybe lower your fee, take on more insurance clients because you really want to make an impact. My mind went to slavery mm. for whatever reason in which a society experienced, I see Kurt's face, what are you talking about? Society experienced <laughs> um, wealth and uh, go back, going back to the idea of luxury on the backs of. It wasn't yeah. actually, a, a equ- it wasn't a, a system that was sustainable. It was only sustainable as long as we we're having people sacrifice themselves and slave to make the lives of others better. So when I see you saying, okay, I'm, I'll lower my fees, I'll, I'll get on my insurance, there's a way that you're expecting yourself to do the work of a larger society, something that should be done more equally and that actually can't be done sustainably and yeah. ethically by one person during a pandemic. Meanwhile, the whole fucking, uh, can I swear on this show? Yes. It, it's yeah, the sure. internet. Go ahead. The whole fucking <laughs> political system, Trump is not addressing COVID at all. And you're yeah. trying to make up for it by sliding your feet. It's, um, it's a misguided attempt to help that's not actually taking into account the limitations of your ability to impact this larger system that's fucked up. Isn't that just like imperialism, but at like a, a smaller scale level, though? <laughs> Say more. <laughs> well, I mean, if 
if this is you know us you know not doing this for for the big system of the things that are outside of our control but if we're passing on you know taking advantage of the situation to put ourselves in that luxurious one-up ah, position you know yeah. I, I i teach at a couple of grad schools i supervise a lot i hear from people really entering into the field bright-eyed bushy-tailed haven't been chewed up and burnt out by the system <laughs> yet saying i want to go out and i want to help make people's lives better and if I have too high of a fee, then they're not going to be able to do that. Why take care of me first? Uh-huh. As if it is a, as if it's a zero sum game. Yeah. Uh, you know, we all know that I hate saying this because it's so cliche now, but putting our masks on first before offering assistance. So when I hear Katie, when I hear you talking about, I can do all of this. I, I, I my bills are paid. Um, we're taken care of. I don't, I'm not in debt. I can do it. What's the problem? The, the, my question goes to, you can do it, but at what cost? truly at what cost? And some people say, well, I have enough money. I just don't have enough time. And for me, especially now that I have my kiddo, money is only, only objective of money is to give myself more time with the people I love and to be of service in the world. So if we're saying I make enough money, but I just don't have enough time, what kind of trade-off is that? What kind of trade-off is it? Well, and I think the hard part for me is I know this, I, I know these things and I, I still found myself falling into it and I'm working really hard and I have an outgoing message. I'm not taking new clients. I mean, I've got, I've, I've, I've been able to course correct. And I think there were other, you know, I can talk to my therapist about the other things that came <laughs> up there, but I think that the piece that I think keeps coming up and, and part of this, when you were talking about slavery and, and that kind of stuff is that when we put ourselves in the position of carrying the load for society, there's, there's a, a thing that's set up there and, I'm, and there's a question that you had suggested to us that I'm going to get to in just a second, but there's, there's also this kind of saviorism. Yes. And, and I think for me, I can find myself getting into that position because I feel like it's, it's kind of that notion of like, well, if I don't do this, who will, you know, like I can't stand back and wait for someone else to do it. And, and, and to me, and, and I'm not, I don't know if I'm formulating this properly, but it's kind of this idea of like, I can't be a sacrificial savior because then I, it's, it's kind of almost like immolation. Like I can't, Mm -hmm. I can't continue to do it, you know, and I even, and I think we said this the last time I talked to you on this podcast was like, you, like if you're going to be a savior by jumping on a grenade, like that's, that's one, that's a one-off, like that's certainly not sustainable. Yeah. And so, so there's the, the savior complex that I think a lot of therapists have, but there's also, and, and you put this question beautifully, so I'm just going to, to put that there, but like, there's this idea that a sliding scale can perpetuate racist and classist systems. So what do you mean by that? Because like, I, I'm starting to put this together, but you're the way that you think, it just blows my mind most of the time. So, so what do you mean by that? Yes. Uh, I invite you and I invite the listeners to think about this question of what are we doing when we're lowering our fees? What are we doing when a human being calls us of their own volition, of their own free will, and we jump straight to, offering to sacrifice our financial, emotional, physical well-being in order to accommodate a request that often in truth, many clients are not even making the request. We jump to offer the request, A, but even if they do request it, even if they do say, oh, you know, do you offer a sliding scale? 
My question is, what are we communicating about our belief in their self-efficacy, our belief in their capacity, our beliefs about the transformational work that we do? And I Mm -hmm. think something about the communication is, uh, and this goes to what Kurt was saying around, here's our time to shine, us being able to own that or not. I think when we lower our fees quickly, when we don't really see our clients as mutual adult patients who are seeking services, I think we're negating all of that other stuff. We're negating self-efficacy. We're negating our belief in their capacity. We're negating the value of the transformational work we're doing. And right away, we're entering into a dependent relationship in which they are financially dependent on us. And we become exactly what you're saying, Katie. We become the giving savior, blessing them with our self-sacrifice. And then the therapeutic relationship requires, uh, what it requires is a foundation of respect uh, mm-hmm. and the dynamic of I'm now taking care of you. Even if we say it's not at a sacrifice to us, it is. If it's lower than the fee we set based on what we know we need to be charging, we're negating the foundation of respect and mutuality right out of the gate. And that's what the whole entire therapeutic relationship is founded on. And so for us, we don't say don't ever offer a sliding scale, but if you're going to do it, you have to acknowledge to yourself, wow, why why am I doing this with this person? And I I think you got to acknowledge it with them. When you're asking for a sliding scale, there is a way that you are asking me to pay, subsidize your treatment. You're asking me to subsidize your treatment. What does that mean for our therapeutic relationship? And I would even say, well, how is that playing out in the rest of their lives? And if we're not looking at it between us, they're coming in asking me to subsidize their treatment. Is that happening in their romantic relationship where they're coming in as a victim, asking someone else to take care of them? Is it happening at their workplace? Are they being taken advantage of and or looking for people to take advantage of them? If we're not talking about it, we're just perpetuating between us an unconscious dynamic that's likely happening in other areas of their lives. That's so interesting. When Katie asked that question, I was getting really prepared to fight back against you. And then I'm really <laughs> glad that I listened. Because, <laughs> well, and my perspective on this was one of the questions that I'm asking more and more students and supervisees and even licensed people, but is therapy essentially just for white people that, that mm. historically there's there's all sorts of of evidence for this. There's you know the feelings about mental health treatment in all sorts of uh, communities of color, and, and but therapy seemingly at its core has has been kind of this Western white Eurocentric sort of place, and that was the argument that I was getting prepared to have with you. But I'm really glad that you put it in this perspective of subsidizing, which mm. just continues to reinforce some of those ideas. Say more about how you think about that. That, and this is coming from a a white male yes. therapist that is, well, if I've got this space, it's my thing. If this is the way for you to come into my thing, if I'm subsidizing that for you, then that makes you buy into that system all the more. That if that that's still that heavy-handed white maleness that seemingly comes. At least how I'm hearing what you're describing it. This is interesting. I don't know if we talked about this on the first episode that we did, where when I was, I think I was in grad school. I I was and am still dating. I don't know if a 
if a 13 year relationship with the father of my child is called dating, but we're still dating. So I was dating this white man at the time. And I was, I, uh, he was supporting me primarily because I was in grad school. I was working in an agency job, but it was not a lot of money. And I wanted to go to therapy and needed to go to therapy. I had so much shame. I didn't want to ask my partner and I did not ask him to subsidize my therapy. So I had to go find a sliding scale therapist in my mind. And I found, I called the analytic institute and they said, we don't have anyone who, who um, can see you at the rate you're looking for. And I remember I got off the phone and I was crying and crying. And then the intake coordinator called me back and I, and he said, I'll see you. I'll see you at that. I think it was $50, $50. And I was so happy and I cried some more. Oh, this nice man doing this good for me, right? A white, a white therapist. And I, it's so interesting in that treatment. I felt like I had to be good. I had to be grateful. I had to show up with my Tiffany, um, um, chucking and jiving mode. I got to be good. I got, Oh, you're so, Oh, thank you so much. And the moment my partner, he uh, ended up getting insurance. So then suddenly I had out of network insurance and could pay this guy's full fee and money became real weird. And the dynamic became real weird. And I felt like I could be more honest. Like now I'm paying this guy's full fee. Let Tiffany really show up. And it Mm. fucking fell apart. He didn't want it. It was uncomfortable. He he liked the dynamic where he could be the nice guy taking care of this poor victim student. And when it became, I'm now on equal footing and I could bring my full self in, it all fell apart. And that's what allowed me to start thinking about what are we doing? What does it mean when we take on a poor, struggling uh, person at a lower fee? And what parts of themselves are they allowed to bring and not allowed to bring when we're being the nice therapist doing a favor for them? There doesn't seem to be enough discussion around the impact of sliding scale. Yes, absolutely. That that it's only ever framed in kind of this wonderful, like, here's this good that you must bestow upon the world. If this is the way that you choose to do your pro bono work, look how great and how much of a savior you are as a therapist that's illustrated in your story here. Absolutely. Absolutely. And on the other end, and this is this is where my head went when you started talking about subsidizing your treatment, is I'm going to be raising my fees. I'm going to be raising the fees on um, some of my sliding scale clients. I just I've been doing that periodically to bring the longer term clients up closer to my full fee. And I was trying to determine how to do it because this is a time that's difficult financially for some folks. And I, I want to have a respectful conversation. And I've, I've set a relationship with them at a certain fee. And, and so there's, it's different than starting. But as I was thinking about it, I was like, well, I could also just go to each person and say, I need to reevaluate your fee. And this is my new full fee. And where are you at with your ability to pay? You know, I want to make sure that we can continue and that, that, that there's not an issue there, but this is, this is what it is, just laying it out. And in my mind, I was like, all the people at my lowest fees who truly cannot afford my fee will stretch. And all of my clients who could afford my full fee, but somehow I decided that it was okay to slide the scale, will negotiate. And it's, it's, it was that idea of the advocacy of the wealthy not to pay my full fee, which goes to not valuing what we do. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had a client at one point who said, um, when they just, they're, they're on insurance and their deductible started again. And they talked about how their, de- the, their full 
insurance rate, which was only around $100, was aggressive and they couldn't afford it. I'm like, I know you can afford it. Like, there's just a value issue. And so even just using that word subsidize, I think, frames it very differently for me Hmm. versus accessibility. How, what, what feels different? What feels different in you? And it's interesting also to think about, and this is one of the things that we do in our program is really have our therapist clients reflect on their projections into poverty. Oh, poor people and wealthy mm-hmm. people. What are they bringing to that? So we'll put that aside for a moment. When you, <laughs> when you think about subsidizing versus accessibility, and I'm curious, like for your uh, less resource clients and your more resource clients, what's the mm-hmm. shift in you that happens with that shift in reframe of terms? I think for, for my more resourced clients, even using that term will frame it more accurately for them. And I think it would, it would be harder for them to then do the hard negotiation, right? Yeah. Um, or they would have to then verbalize the devaluation of therapy, right? Because, you know, especially if I know they can afford it, Yes. you know, and I also think about the ones that are at my full fee. Like I, if I raise the fee, you know, five, $10, whatever it is, you know, like, you know, I'm, I'm pretty high in my, my market. So I, I don't need to raise it a lot. It's just kind of doing it. They would just, they're like, oh, okay. Like they, it's not, there's not been that conversation about let's bring the the fee down. So I think talking about it as a subsidy and especially a lot of folks who have resources don't feel like they need to be subsidized. Mm. It, it just changes it. It changes it from what I can pay or what I want to pay or blah, blah, blah to how much I value and, and want to actually pay in. So it becomes about, I think, what it truly is about versus them just trying to have a comfortable budget and not being willing to, to pay the full fee. I think for my less resourced clients, I think some of them will, will recognize that we've been able to work through the other parts of the relationship. And yeah, they, they do need a subsidy and they want to continue with the work and they'll, they'll do as much as they can to diminish the amount of subsidy they need you know? And, and for me that that's, I don't know. I don't know. What do you think about that? Cause that's kind of where my head went. Uh, well, before I jump in, Kurt, I see you, I see you twisting your beard and thinking deeply. What thoughts do you have <laughs> as you're listening? I'm thinking about this for all of our listeners at various points in our career, that the, the people who saw you at the main stage of, of therapy reimagined were you know, really in, in that growth stage of their careers where they were first, you know, getting the permission to open their practice or, or first wrestling with this idea of being able to step out and charge a little bit more that, you know, we go through this very perverted system in our field of teaching people that the value of their services is nothing or negative, you know, starting in, in practicum, when you pay for supervision, you pay to go volunteer someplace. And then you get thrown out into this world of, you know, if you're working at an agency, you might still be working for free or a group practice, you get your, you know, barely minimum wage dollar rate per hour. And then you go out into private practice, you set this fee that's, well, I used to charge $15 for this and now I'm getting $100 for this. The people who are listening to you were finally getting to that stage of, I, I can charge more. I have bills to pay. I have mm-hmm. things to do. 
we don't look at this across a lot of our career, that there are the really established people like you and Katie and me who have our fees, that we are in, you know, above market rates compared comparatively to some people. We have grad students who are still in that first phase of you know, paying for their supervision. We all know this. We all mm. know that we need to charge, but there's a hangup that happens here, whether you're a grad student or whether you're well-established, that I'm just trying to see, like, what is that hangup that we're all trying to get past? So interesting. Um, in, our, in our program, we have people who have been doing this work for 20 years, and they're still struggling. Uh, or group practice owners who are realizing that they're the mindset around money they have is trickling down to their um, people working for them, working on their team. And one of the things as I'm hearing both of you talk through this that I think could be appealing to people who have been doing this for some time, more seasoned clinicians is, and it goes right back to something you're talking about, Katie. How is thinking about, thinking critically about, and talking about the fee, how can that be a clinical intervention actually? And how is avoiding talking about the fees, desire, aggression, betrayal, abandonment as they're represented by the fees, how might that be a clinical intervention? And so I think one of the hangups therapists have, and we can talk about, of course, um, therapists often know something, but they're alone. They look around them and they're like, I'm the only one who's wanting to charge mm -hmm. premium fees. Everyone's telling me I have to be on insurance. People are telling me I'm greedy, right? So we have, we're, we're reinforced by other therapists in our profession. It's reinforced that we shouldn't be charging premium fees. And I talk specifically about premium fees um, because I'm talking about making good money and having the choice and the capacity to make good money. If you're charging $300 a session, you could charge 100 to someone else, but you're making $300 per, you know, you, you understand yeah. how to charge yeah confidently, then you can make the choice to do whatever you want, but you know how to. So one, we're reinforced by our profession that it's a problem. Two, uh, to answer your question, Kurt, so much of the time our, our knowing is in our head. Well, we know the thing, but there are unconscious dynamics at play that we're continuing to avoid. And those things need to be made conscious in order, us, in order for us to move from, you know, knowing in our head to a visceral experience experience of this. And for me, that comes from understanding the clinical implications of the unconscious uh, patterns playing out between the therapist and the client around money. And we talk about them in all kinds of ways, but money is an expression of the therapist's need. Money is an expression of the therapist's desire. And I think so often therapists are trying to be nice and good and, you know, supportive and we don't need anything, but in reality we do, we have desire, yep. we want to grow and change. And that brings up, that brings the relationship between the therapist and the client right here in the room, not in a nice, I'm supporting your, your, your mommy, but like I have needs and desires for growth and change and luxury. And you are the person who pays me money. So I, I'm not doing this out of the goodness of my heart. I'm doing it because I love the work and I also want to be financially well off. I want to be taken care of financially. I have needs too. So really bringing that uh, understanding how to have clinical conversations around the therapist's need and what it brings up can really be translated into every aspect of that client's life where uh, um, nobody's having these conversations with them, where they can hate, where they can feel betrayed, where they can feel like you're abandoning me. And we don't say, never mind, never mind, I'll lower my fee. We're, we don't collapse. We say, 
when I raised my fee, I abandoned you. What's it like? What's it like that I'm hurting you like this? And a story shut our mouth. We're not taking it away. We're acknowledging what's happening in their, in their mind. And they probably had parents. Of, well, of course, it's their parents. They had other kids. They had their parents <laughs> who, when the, when the child said, you're hurting me, the parent either denied it. No, I'm not. Or collapsed. I am. Okay, no more boundaries in this relationship. No more boundaries. Right? To be a therapist who says, when I raise my fees, it hurts you. Let's talk about it. That's something that those clients don't get anywhere else. And that's why those therapists can charge premium fees. That's such an interesting conversation to have with a client. And I I think I've had some of those in different places, but I think it's something where when we go into that conversation, I think there are going to be some clients that can't hang, but maybe that's just me feeling nervous about it. Like where do clients go with that? I think it's, I think it is, I think it is the therapists who cannot hang. It's the therapist who cannot tolerate the anxiety of that kind of conversation. Mm -hmm. And when a therapist can learn to hang in and say, I hurt you, or, or, you know, I'm raising the fee and it's whatever, whatever, whatever we pick up from the client, we can just hang in. I have, my experience has been that it's usually the client leaves when the therapist is no longer able to tolerate the work or the client's projections or what the client is bringing to them about how this impacts them. It may be a reality that the, the client, um, and I, I have a hard time saying can't pay that fee because way back mm. when I was struggling in grad school and poor me, and I'm so sad. And I really was unconsciously. I was a mess. Um, but it was, un- uh, it was a psychic reality. I could have gone out and got some work. I could have picked up the work at the agency job, but I don't want to. I was looking in some way for someone else to take care of me. I was looking for to play out a dynamic that I hadn't worked through. And if that therapist had challenged me to challenge me to both do the psychic work and also said, you know, where can you actually make some changes in your life to be able to afford my full fee? Oh, I would have been fucking pissed. You don't know me. You don't understand my trauma. You, you, who are you, white man? But guess what that would have allowed me to do? Uh, really go into some material that I was avoiding and looking for a nice white man to take care of me. Well, I, I want to push back on that a little bit because I do think that there are people in different socioeconomic statuses that need good therapy and not just the stuff they can find in public mental health. Although I think there is some good therapy that can happen there too. But I think there's, there are folks that maybe can't afford, truly cannot afford in their budget, a $300 a week or twice a week therapy session. And so, or even twice a month. I mean, I think it's something where people do have different levels of capacity in their budget. And I think there are times that there's not necessarily something that they can do, want to do. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but I can see where there would be a, an opportunity to, to, to make money specifically to be able to afford therapy. I get that. That seems to be a lot to ask for anything. I don't, I don't want to have to make extra money to afford an attorney. I don't want to have to make extra money to afford, like I still would pay the fees if I need to do it and I would figure it out. But I think that there is truly, each person does have a specific financial capacity, um, right? I don't know. I don't know. So a couple of things. One, I hear absolutely what you're saying. I, I, I think I balked at like, everybody has a financial limit. I'm like, Really? Is it true with all the resources? I don't know. I, I don't know, but I'll, I'll, I'll can't, I can't afford a $10,000 a, a, uh, a week business coach. Like I can't afford that. 
no matter no matter what I services do. to you just for us I was about to pitch my services at here's ten thousand dollars a week <laughs> here's what, but here's what I'm thinking you said I couldn't afford an uh you know an attorney that cost me thousands uh, thousands of dollars and then you said well I would if I had to but so I'm like wait uh, uh. No, I get that. I get that. But I also, I also am sitting in a place of privilege and understand that, that there's, there are differences that each person come to the table with. And so, yes. So let's talk about, you know, Tiffany, the student, Yeah. you know, personally, if I had been in your situation, I don't know that I I would found it financially responsible to find a therapist that was $300 a session at that point. Yeah. And I, I absolutely hear what you're saying. And I do agree, even though I'm playing devil's advocate here. I know, so, I know, but this is more fun this way. <laughs> here's what I would say. Here's what I would say to that. Certainly there are people, and I don't know if I would have been psychically able to work with a therapist who said not 50, but $300. I might've, yeah. I needed to work through something psychically. So here's what I would say. It is not a therapist's responsibility to make a sacrifice for people who are in a different place financially and can afford a $300 mm-hmm. therapist. However, if you want to do that work as a therapist, in reality, that's a long game. So that means I need to be able to take care of myself financially. I need to be able to create the Lean In Make Bank Academy, do a lot of hard fucking work to get that going until it's self-sustainable. And then I have enough resources to go and create the Psychoanalytic Institute that provides uh, low fee therapy, excellent, with excellent training, excellent benefits to our therapists, excellent X, Y, and Z. So our therapists are really taken care of and they're doing good work for the people who come into the clinic who can't afford $300, but can afford maybe $20. That's a long game. That's a problem. Or, or Tiffany's now freed up to go lobby. Uh, you guys actually were the ones who started talking about this, like get fucking insurance to pay us more, uh, yeah. impact the political system. So we have universal health care that covers mental health at a, a great rate for therapists, right? This answer is not in sliding our scale when we feel guilty, when that person comes in and employs us for $50. The answer is getting ourselves in a place where we're taken care of and have the time and mental bandwidth and capacity to actually make a strategic, consistent, disciplined, uh, sustainable plan for change. That affordability to be able to go and impact those larger systems comes from the ability to have had created that in the first place, to have the wherewithal to set those boundaries, to impact the larger systems. Those therapists who aren't there yet, can you speak to them as far as, okay, you know, I want to be the Kurtz and the Katie's and the Tiffany's who are out there creating all of these institutions and impacting stuff, but I'm still in grad school and I still owe Sally May, you know, a hundred thousand dollars and I'm working for peanuts. Can you speak to them as far as what they can do now in mm-hmm. this on their way to getting to where those more established people are, who are charging those higher fees, maintaining this balance? That's a great question. Um, I would say, especially to those who are still in grad school and maybe stressed out about what their future holds, I would say absolutely it's possible for them to do well financially in private practice. And they deserve to do well financially in private practice. I, uh, research has, shows, has showed that money in the hands of women, specifically, women give, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but exponentially more to charity and to organizations. Sorry, Kurt than men do. When men have wealth, they tend to keep it more. When women have wealth, they tend to give back more to their families and to charitable organizations. That's just a fact. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking like, oh, can I make money? Is it, is it possible? One, it's possible. Two, uh, it's your responsibility. 
I might even go so far as to say, you're not, you know, I think about my family, a lot of them have not had a college uh, education. They're really struggling financially. Um, They don't have the resources to make a big impact. They truly don't. However, if you're in grad school and you've made it there and you found a way to work the financial system to be able to pay for it and your education you're getting, you have resources. You're not in the same place as the struggling family you came from. So it's your responsibility to use those resources to make a bigger impact. And, and that bigger impact involves luxury for you because you're modeling what it means to be a woman, a person of color in the world, taking care of themselves and saying, we deserve to take care of ourselves too. And you have a responsibility to uh, be a person who can uh, amass wealth and make an impact and, and, and impact the political system for the better. So it's possible for you, I would say. I want to talk with you for like hours and hours and hours. It just makes me so happy. But I do want to add one piece of advice from my own perspective, given what we have just been talking about. For those who are starting out, in getting ready to start their private practice, they really need to set a fee that's going to make sense and start there because it is so much harder to dig out of a hole where you have clients that are at lower fees or on insurance or whatever it is that you cannot really afford than setting the fee and really getting started with building your practice in a way that's financially sustainable. And of course, you have your fun with fees calculator, which I'm sure you're going to tell everybody about. But it's something where if you don't set your fee properly to begin with, sometimes you're fighting against your clinical responsibility to the clients that you have. And that becomes a bigger battle than starting and holding your fee from the beginning. And look, I created a whole side business to subsidize the clients who I wanted to continue to work with who I'd been working with for years. So it's true. Like I wish someone had given me this message back when I was in grad school of like, just like what you said, start with fees that take care of you well, and then use your, you can make an impact outside of that versus doing going backwards. Like so much of us have to do where we end up having (laughs) to charge $300 to make up for the $25 clients that we're committed to. And Mm -hmm. we've been working with for 10 years. Yep. Where can people find out more about you and everything that you're putting out there? Yes, we actually have a a workshop right now, a free workshop for steps to raise your fee. So especially even in times of COVID, you can raise your fee. If you go to heytiffany.com forward slash workshop, you can watch that and you, you can check out, we have a podcast too, the money sessions where you're hearing therapists talk all day long about the real conversations they're having, the real struggles they're having around just this kind of thing, raising fees, talking to clients about fees, getting off insurance panels, et cetera. And we will link to that in our show notes. You can find that at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also find Tiffany at the Therapy Reimagined 2021 conference. Uh, She is back by popular demand and lots of voicemails from Kurt while I'm driving around the (laughs) world. True. True. (laughs) So we are so excited to have you back this year and I can't wait for September. So yay. Until next time, I'm Kurt Woodhelm with Katie Renoy and Tiffany McLean. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes. 